Please turn in your New Testaments to Lamentations chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Lamentations 2, 6 through 9. And as you're looking, I'd like to uh, begin this morning um, by kind of being reminded of the story of a married couple. And this married couple, they were not a close married couple. In fact, one of the one of the spouses just decided they were going to go, you know, make their own life and do their own thing. And, you know, so they were always out doing and, and, and making their life and making it happen. And they totally ignored the other spouse at home. And so the other spouse at home, you know, kind of got tired of being ignored and kind of got tired of that, that pressure, you know, kind of the hurt of, of it all and decided that they would go on a long vacation. So what they did was they, uh, they ordered one of these kind of cardboard cutout images, life-size images of themselves from the internet. And it, it got there before this person went on vacation. They set up the cardboard cutout life-size image in the living room and the spouse went on a long vacation. Well, the spouse came back from a long vacation only to find that the other spouse never realized that the spouse had left. So this kept going on. And uh, the, the, the spouse went on vacation, decided that it was time to, to go on vacation again, but this time with a little difference. Before this spouse left town, they froze all the bank accounts and ability to access any money. They took the cardboard cutout and ripped it into seven pieces and threw it on the floor of the den and left town. This caused the spouse that was left behind to not be able to do any more of the stuff that they were formerly doing and to realize their spouse wasn't there and something was wrong and to begin to reconsider the marriage. Now, you know that's a made-up story. You know that's wildly, like, overstated, like hyperbole for sure. But we kind of get it in a way. And I want you to know that is the story of the book of Lamentations. That's the story here. The temple was the presence of God for the people. The temple was about God's glory and His name, nearness to God for His people, intimacy with God for His people. But Israel, we read in Lamentations 1, rather than loving God and wanting a relationship with God, Israel gave her heart to other gods. In verse, uh, chapter 1, other lovers they're called. And the temple became pretty much like a cardboard cutout that nobody really even brought their hearts to the temple anymore. Nobody brought their lives before God to be with Him. And years went by. And no one really noticed that God wasn't being encountered anymore. And the blessings of Yahweh God to his people. They began to attribute those blessings and the ability to do their job and get their wealth and have their friends and do the things that they do. They begin to attribute those blessings to themselves rather than to God. And uh, to, and even 
to attribute them to other gods and these fertility gods and these gods of the crops. In Old Testament, that means gods of wealth and get you more money, but what's what it means. Attributing what Yahweh had given not only to themselves, but to other gods. And so God took their blessings away. And he tore up the, the cardboard, cut out. And he literally destroyed his own temple. If it's just going to be a cardboard cut out of presence with me, he, he tore it down. And they found when the Babylonians came and sacked Jerusalem and they could not withstand them. And it was horror upon horror, not one stone left upon another and everything burning to the ground. They found that their friends, as they were called in chapter 1, those were the other nations that we will make these treaties, uh, particularly with Egypt, so that we'll be safe with the Babylonians. We no longer have to look to God anymore. We make treaties to keep ourselves safe. Well, their friends couldn't stop the Babylonians. And, and their lovers, this was the language for the, the idols in chapter 1, where their, their lovers weren't there. In fact, we kept reading the aftermath. You know, Jeremiah is, here's what's going to happen if you keep loving idols and giving your life to other people and things so passionately rather than God. Lamentations is, see, here's what happened and here's why. It's, it's a postcard from the aftermath. And um, we kept hearing, where, where are your lovers now? Have they deserted you? Where are your friends now? And the temple was gone, and Jerusalem was raised to the ground, and they were taken on a 1,000 or so mile Jewish trail of tears to Babylon, where they were in captivity for 70 years. And finally, those who missed Yahweh, meaning they weren't even looking for Him, looked to everything and everybody else, they really began to miss Yahweh. They remembered His love. They, they remembered that it was a covenant love, never withdrawn. They remembered His faithfulness. They remembered His tender mercies. And they longed for Him again. It's kind of like the prodigal son in the Old Testament. It's kind of like the prodigal nation. And so I'd like to read Lamentations 2, 6 through 9, and the rest of the chapter is very similar to this. And I'm going to read from the ESV except for verse 6 because it's just not clear in the ESV. And I'm going to use the Holman Standard Version for verse 6. Verse 6. He has done violence to his temple as if it were a garden booth destroying his place of meeting. The Lord has abolished appointed festivals and Sabbaths in Zion. It's no longer there. He has despised king and priest in his fierce anger. Verse 7. The Lord has scorned his own altar. He has disowned his sanctuary. He is delivered into the hand of the enemy. 
the walls of her palaces, they raise a clamor in the house of the Lord as if it is a Jewish day of feasting. The enemies raise a clamor. Verse 8, the Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out his measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are now among the nations. Babylon. The law is no more. It's not read in the sanctuary. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. What was I thinking when I chose Lamentations to go to next? Well, I'm thinking this is very helpful. And I'd like to just say it in a sentence and kind of work out of the sentence. And I'd like for you to remember this sentence. You write it down, you can talk about the sentence over lunch. And the sentence is simply this. God doesn't need us. But He really wants us. Let me say that again. God doesn't need us, but He really wants us. I want to begin with this concept of the glory of a, of a God independent, transcendent over His creation. That God doesn't need us. Now, I know this sounds harsh just to say God doesn't need us, but it's true. And from all eternity, before the heavens and the earth, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, in perfect Trinity love and, and in glory and in graciousness and perfect unity. Oh, God has been happy from all eternity. You need to understand there's no minus in God that creation filled. This was God, the artist who decided to create for his own glory and his own reasons because he is and he wanted to and it was good and it was very good, not because he needed it. And God doesn't have any minuses that are being filled by us. God did not create human beings because He was lonely. He created human beings in His image to know them and for them to know Him, the one true and living God, and to be able to walk in intimacy with Him just because He wanted to give that gift of human life. He wanted to give that gift of image of God and that gift of relationship. No, God is complete. He is love. He is perfectly whole. He is perfectly happy and glorious. And the temple also was a gift. The tabernacle before it, the the temple was a gift. The temple was given to be the place where that representation of His name, His glory, a representation of His glory dwelt, where, where God's presence could be in the midst of His people. And God was saying, I love you by the temple. Can you imagine the day that the glory cloud filled the temple? How exciting that was to know God is in our midst. God loves us with a covenant love and and we can be with Him and we can worship Him and we can hear His Word and walk with Him. It's the overlap the temple is between heaven and earth. And while it is all for the worship of God because 
being God. He demands worship. He demands by just who He is. I don't even mean by His words, but just by who He is to be glorified. It was given for men to encounter Him and His Word and to walk with Him. So taking away the temple did not minus God. God didn't need the temple. We needed the temple. But it got treated like a cardboard cutout that's ignored over in the corner, and now it is gone. God doesn't need us. It's harsh, but it's just true. A relationship with God is not because He needs us. It is sheer grace. But they, we read, pursued other lovers, and this gift relationship evidently was no longer significant to them. So finally, the Lord moved. And this took years and years and years. But finally the Lord moved in order to reach them by removing His temple and unmasking their idols' ineffectiveness. He Himself removed the temple by allowing the Babylonians to attack Jerusalem. He has done violence to His temple, verse 6 as if it were a garden booth, destroying its place of meeting. The Lord has abolished festivals and Sabbaths in Zion. He has despised priests and kings in His fierce anger. The Lord has scorned His own altar. He has disowned His sanctuary and delivered it into the hands of the enemy. It's very important to realize that God does not need us. Let me tell you why. Because God's not just another person that we can have a relationship with, that we just kind of bargain with, and you give me this, I'll give you that, and no, and you know, they're going to let you down, and there's going to be all this stuff, and you know, the things that go on in human relationships. No, we need to thank God that God doesn't need us because there's nobody like Him. He's utterly reliable. He's always able, and He has set His covenant love, His chesed forever love, upon His people. It's a good thing that God doesn't need us. And this is sheer gift. And the fact is that He is different. We need Him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his uh, most famous book, The Cost of Discipleship, kind of brought it all down to this sentence. Discipleship, following Jesus, discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. It is a gift that Christ gives to man. So God doesn't need us. You got that? God didn't need His temple. He tore it down. But God really wants us. He doesn't need us, but He really wants us. And that's the second thing. He loves us. He wants us. And that is precisely why He shakes us loose from our idols. It's precisely why He moved. As painful as that was... Is because he loves them. You know, if Israel's idols, Israel's lovers, if they were for real, this shouldn't have been a problem. If those gods were real, then why didn't they rise to the occasion? Why didn't they protect Israel? If those friends were so almighty and these other kingdoms could seal off the advance of of other kingdoms, then, then why didn't they protect Israel? Well, let me tell you why. Because they are no gods at all. And God unmasks the ineffectiveness 
of these idols and the folly of depending on the arm of strength of other nations. Oh, we don't need God anymore. We got treaties. Nothing's ever going to happen to us. We got nukes. They're not gods at all, and they could not give what was needed. I'll tell you something, they still can't. Money cannot deliver what you really need, and a little more of it won't deliver what you really need, I promise you. Money, sex, and power. That's that's the big three. Sex cannot deliver what you need. And neither can power, neither can recognition, neither can popularity. All these things that we want. It's not that any of them in and of themselves are horrible. But when our idols become our primary lovers, when we say to our idols, if I just had this, then... I would be blank. If I just knew these people or could hang with those people, then I would be somebody. And if I just had money, if I just lived here, if I just drove this, if I, it just goes on and on. And when those idols become our primary lovers, look, we wake up the next morning empty and with a headache. Having to decide whether we're going to stay on that treadmill and keep going after them where they're going to rise to say, okay, it didn't pay off, so let me just go deeper into it. Or whether we're going to get a life, a real one, with the Lord God who loves us. There are times in our lives where God just shakes us. I know that's true of me. And very often... This shaking comes from our continuing in our idols. When we embrace them, when we passionately kiss them, and literally give our lives to them, this is what will make my life. That leads to ruin. Typically, our idolatry finally begins to kill all of our relationships. That's, that's the other sad thing about idolatry. It's not, it doesn't just not pay because you always got to pay them more and more and pursue more and more. But idolatry, when we give our lives to them, begins to kill all of our relationships. Let me tell you something. Our culture says, go after life. You do what you want to do. Life this, you know, you make it happen. You do this. And I'm not for saying you need to be a couch potato or something like that. But going after life, trying to squeeze the juice out of everything and everybody around you is no way to have a relationship. How do you like it when you are used? When people are just trying to squeeze the juice out of you for them. How do you like it when people's favorite subject is always them? I mean, maybe you like it because maybe they offer you something in the relationship that makes you feel better about you. I don't know how it works for you. I don't know what the bargains and the trading and the bartering of idols looks like in your particular life. But it doesn't look like intimacy. It doesn't look like trust. It doesn't look like the life that's truly life. Now, that's no way to get closer to people. 
we follow our idols, and if we really give our hearts to them, you realize what ends up happening is we just get desperate. We just get desperate because they don't work. And when you get about to level six and they haven't worked and you decided with your hangover the next morning, whatever, I'm using that metaphorically, um, to, that you're going to go after it even harder, it, it, it literally begins to look to other people like desperation. And you've got to be recognized and you've got to feel good about yourself. You gotta do, have you ever known people that just desperate? It's like how junior high can an adult be? How do, it's so embarrassing. How did they get that way? Well, the answer is... Because they're trying so hard to make their life worth living. I get that. Do y'all get that? But it won't happen in idols. It won't happen in idols. It won't happen for me. And it won't happen for you. It's not pretty. And there is wreckage everywhere as a result of following idols off their cliff. And God will allow the jarring reality of it all to finally hit us out of love and his desire is to reclaim us and to see our hearts get unclung to things that are not God and are not love and to find hunger in our hearts for the one who actually loves us the most The Lord has scorned his altar. The Lord has disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered it into the hand of the enemy, the walls of her palaces, and they raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of a festival. I call it God's unbuilding program. Now, speaking of the building south of this building, We need to pay attention to this. It isn't about the building. You know what that needs to be? That needs to be about our hearts and desire to know God and to reach out and for other people to know God. That that needs to be a, a point of experiencing God together and inviting people into the love and grace of God together. That's a building program. Y'all, we don't need a God's unbuilding program. We need to love the Lord our God. And here's where they finally get with their hearts in Lamentations. You may remember that there's five poems. They're not necessarily in sequence. But Lamentations 1.18, this is what God's people finally say in the aftermath. The Lord, Lamentations 1.18, the Lord is in the right. Boy, we've come a long way to be able to say, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against His word. Verse 20 of uh, Lamentations 1, My heart is wrung out within me because I have been very rebellious. That's actually a a sign of of hope in the midst of the, the ruins. Now, you know what the mother of all passages like that is? It's not in the book of Lamentations. It's in the book of Psalms. It is Psalm 137. And it starts like this. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion or Jerusalem. We hung our hearts in the willow trees where we used to play our happy songs to God. We hung our harps 
in the willow trees, for there our captors, the Babylonians, required of us songs. And our tormentors said, sing us one of those songs of, of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And see how wonderfully cardboard cut out, don't really care about God, don't really bring my heart to God, don't need the temple. See how wonderfully God has created hunger. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand not work anymore. Not forget its skill. Let the tongue, my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set you, Jerusalem, as my highest joy. Longing for the temple. Longing to be back in that city. Longing for that intimacy with God the way God had given it as a gift. And that's a change. God comes after them by destroying their idolatry. Because He wants them to have Himself. And His great love... And depending on how deep our idolatry is to one thing or another or in certain relationships, whatever, it can feel pretty dramatic when God starts shaking us, our idols, out of our grasp. He wants us and He loves us and He comes after us. And I know and I think you know that that is not always comfortable These wounds, it feels like, by God, they are there precisely to bring us back into the arms of God because we're treating Him like a cardboard cutout of God. These wounds, these trials, they are proof of sonship because the Lord only disciplines those He loves. And He disciplines them as true sons. So if God is beginning to challenge idols in your life or mine, even if you feel like God's wounding you in a sense, even if if this is not comfortable, please know that this is proof that He loves you. That He really wants to embrace you. This was Israel in the midst of, of hurt that would not go away. But... But whether it's the Old Testament or the New, there is always a way back to God. And I'll tell you why. Because God with His people, if you've put your trust in Jesus, He's always been there. At every twist and turn along the idolatrous road, He's been there. And He's never stopped loving you. And His arms are always open. It's like the prodigal son, the prodigal nation in the Old Testament. And He wants you. How much did he want you? Well, we know, right? We, get, we know the rest of the story now, right? We're, we're on the back side of the New Testament. He loves you. And he wanted you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die in your place to take the punishment for your idolatry that you deserve forever. And Jesus took that punishment for you. Do you realize that when we put our trust in what Christ has done on the cross, all we bring to him is our sin and what we get in replace is, in its stead, is relationship with God forever and His love forever. We become His children. We gain the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus died so that we can have that relationship that we don't deserve. And everything we need comes from the Lord and is expressed in relation with with people and, and living in this world with God. That's how much he loved you. That's how much he wants you. Now, let me move to a conclusion here. Okay, I got bad news and I got good news. Which would you like first? I tell you, why don't we end with the good news since we're singing a song about good news at the end. Okay, let's start. We'll, we'll start with the bad news. Here it is. Here's the bad news about you and me. God still allows us to choose and hold and passionately kiss and live for our idols if we want to. That's the bad news. That we're no different from the Israelites and God still allows us to literally live for idols. As C.S. Lewis famously put it, one of the worst things you could ever hear from God is something like this. Okay, your will be done then. Knock yourself out. Those are terrifying words. And sometimes we treat God like a cardboard cutout that we no longer even need to notice. Oh, we're all Christians here in Mississippi. Oh, we all go to church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where our, and and neither is Lamentations. I'm talking about where our heart is, where we locate the meaning of our lives, what we hotly pursue, and why. What is most important? And we go on to hurt ourselves and our relationships for a little more money. Come on. Is a little more money really worth that? For a little more sex? For a little more power, for a little more notoriety, recognition, respect, air quotes. Desperately trying to feel better about ourselves and our lives apart from God. But when are we going to realize that this year's model idol is going to be a used one next year? That idol 1.0 is never as sexy as idol 2.0. And when the new one comes out, we got to have it. Or maybe the same uh, model with an S behind it. That That was for you that know about Apple, one of the chief idolatries of our generation. No, idol 2.0 is always going to be more sexy than idol 1.0. And we're always going to want more. And we're always going to want more. That's the bad news. That's the way we are. Okay, you ready for the good news? The good news is this. There's something... We're the same as they are. That's the bad news. The good news is there's something radically different about now than then that matters. Here it is. God will never tear down his temple again. God will never tear down his temple again. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. Last time I checked, there's not a temple built. The the Romans in 70 AD tore that temple to the ground. It's never been rebuilt. And that, that is true. And that's why the Wailing Wall and, and that's why everything that goes on over there among the, the Jewish people. But don't you know 
that the tabernacle and the temple were types and shadows. They pictured the real overlap between heaven and earth, the real one that could grab God and man and bring them together. Don't you know that Jesus is the real temple? Tear down this temple, he said, and I will raise it up again in three days. Hey, he's blaspheming. And they said later we realized that he was talking about himself. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. Every sacrifice that took place in that temple was picturing the final once and for all sacrifice that Jesus made. Isn't that beautiful? And if you've put your trust in Him, it gets better. See, this thing isn't hopeless at all. God doesn't need us, but He really wants us. The Scriptures say that Christ is the fulfillment of the temple, one greater than the temple. But you know what else the Scriptures say? And we read it earlier in this service. You are the temple. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual temple to offer worship acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, all the nations had to stream to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God, right? But now, because Christ has died, now because the sin that separates us from God has been done away with, and Jesus has sat down at the right hand of God, He has sent the Holy Spirit. You understand, the Holy Spirit can't dwell in a human being, a fallen human being, without the work of Christ. Now we have the Holy Spirit. Back then, there was a curtain that kept you out of the holy place and when Jesus died that curtain was ripped from top to bottom and we have access and the Holy Spirit has access to us oh yes in the Old Testament they would come from all over the world to Jerusalem but now the temple's going to all over the world through his church to every tribe nation tongue and language now this life gate is opened to the Gentiles as well as the Jews It's amazing. Now, I'm not suggesting God's done with Israel or anything like that. Just relax. That's not what I'm talking about here. What this means in our idolatry is that God is near. The Holy Spirit is within us. And it means... That God is always, in His redemption, a breath away. You don't have to crawl over broken glass. You don't have to wait till the temple's rebuilt to finally have the presence of God anymore. He is here. And in my idolatry, in your idolatry, you can turn to Him because He's there and He loves you. And he wants you. The prodigal nation returned. The prodigal son in Luke 15 returned. And so here we are with all of our idols. Me and you. And God is speaking to you. And I'll tell you something else. If you ever feel shame, and you do, he wants you. Don't you ever say, I've gone too far for this, and I can't do this, and I'm... Who says that? And Jesus 
had the ultimate shame. Jesus went through the ultimate exile from God the Father so that we would never be separated from the love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall anything or anybody? No, I'm persuaded that nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. That's good news! Regardless of how much He's broken you down, trying to bring you back, He wants you. As for me, I'd love to ask Him to make me wise enough to come early in that process. Let me close by uh, quoting to you from a song. He doesn't need you, but he really wants you. He really loves you. This is a song that I heard about a year and a half ago by Ellie Holcomb. It's called The Valley. And I'm just going to quote one of the verses of the song. It really speaks to the heart where we live in relationship to this. I can't keep myself from sinking down, from drowning down in all this shame. My throat is worn out from calling for help. I'm praying that you'll remember my name. He won't forget you. So come and find me in the darkness of my soul, in the shadow of the valley. I'm dying for you to make me whole. Answer me out of your goodness, the goodness of your love. In your mercy, turn to me. I know it's you that I've been running from. But I'm seeing that it's you that I really need. He's coming after you. Return. That's what the prophets said, right? They, didn't, they weren't just trying to say, if you don't return, God's going to ruin your day. They're saying God loves you. Return. Come home to the one who loves you the most. Let's pray. Lord, would you speak to us about your unfailing love? Your love endures forever. Would you speak to us about your covenant love that it never will be retracted? Would you speak to us about the cross and the ultimate display of love and sacrifice that you made a way? Would you speak to us about the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Would you be free, Spirit of God, to move within us and, and convict us and teach us? If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done on the cross because we cannot make ourselves good enough for a holy God, you pray with me, Lord, I, I want to turn from everything else. I see this gift. I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you've done. Thank you that when you said it was finished, it was finished and complete. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you and we, we, we know the sweetness of your grace. We know that you love us. Lord, there are webs and there are places where we get caught. Our foot gets caught. There are places that we go back to. And God, we need for you to move in our lives so that we would see that those idols are not real. They do not satisfy Lord, we need for you to give us a hunger for you.
Because we know that when we hunger for you, you more than meet that hunger every time with the true bread of life. Bless your people. Calls us to trust in your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.